This is the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless. From the campus of Loyola Marymount University, with special guest, Jeannie Buss, owner of the Los Angeles Lakers. I like to say that my dad had six kids, but the Lakers were his baby. And he put me in charge of taking care of the baby so that the baby would be healthy and survive. Now, here's the host of Sports Business Radio, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us for this very special edition of Sports Business Radio, the Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo. We were on location at my alma mater, Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, for an in-depth conversation with Los Angeles Lakers owner Jeannie Buss. In the audience, we had invited VIPs and also faculty and students from Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. Special thanks to Boingo for powering the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Enjoy this conversation with Jeannie Buss. I want to welcome you to LMU. Uh, I'm Craig Pintons. I'm the athletic director here. And we were approached probably about a month, month and a half ago from Brian uh, Berger, who is obviously the host of, of the program today. And he had reached out. I'd known Brian in a previous life and also had known that Brian, as you can see with these great pictures here, was an alum at LMU and more, more importantly was an alum at LMU when we obviously had our, our pinnacle to this point, and that's an important point, to this point uh, in, in men's basketball when we had that amazing run with Hank and Bo and Brian uh, was the voice on KXLU uh, for that team, which is, which is pretty special. And so when he mentioned that he wanted to have uh, Jeannie Buss here to interview her, I said, hey, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll find a spot on campus. And, uh, and so here we are. So I, be, without any further ado, I'm just going to hand it over. want to introduce Boingo Wireless. want to thank them and also thank uh, Brian and, and Jeannie for being here today. We do have some LMU swag for you before you leave with the new marks. There's not a lot of new marks out there, so make sure to, to wear it proudly. Uh, and I'll hand it over to Boingo. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. Well, thanks for joining us here today. I'm Chris Vargas from Boingo Wireless, and uh, we're a proud sponsor of Brian Berger and business, Sports Business Radio, so we're really happy to be here. We think these events are really important because it can get the students face-to-face with legends in sport, the reigning, defending, undefeated first family of L.A. sports, the Lakers and Jeannie Buss, of course, right? So... Also, too, is we had a little bit of time to chat in the back, but I didn't, I'm going to surprise you with this. You didn't see this coming. But my wife of 23 years was a Laker girl during the Showtime era. Oh, you're thinking I... Come on. Yeah, that's what my wife was. For, during the Showtime era with Big Game James and Magic was my favorite, of course. So, so it's really exciting for me to be here, too. So, But quickly, a little bit about Boingo Wireless. We provide wireless solutions for entertainment venues and major sports leagues like Chicago Bears and Atlanta Hawks and big-time schools like K-State and uh, uh, University of Louisville. And what we really do is make sure your phone is connected, right, so you can stay connected to the action. That's what we do. But not only that, right, while we do this, while we provide these connectivity solutions, we also provide operational efficiencies for the venues themselves and then also create revenue opportunities where you can monetize this data that we're all gaining from all these connected devices. 
And for the students here today, I think it's really important to think about all the different types of careers that you can have with sports and in technology. So it's not just engineers or, uh, or RF engineers, but it's also data analysts and, and creative financial minds that can pull all this information, this data, and make sense out of it. And how do you monetize all this data we're gathering from all our devices? So that's really important. And then finally, last but not least, we're a leader in technology. We're bringing 5G coast-to-coast -coast to all our clients, and what that means is high speeds, low latency, and connectivity of all your devices like you've never seen before. So it's a changing landscape of technology. So with that said, without further ado, I'd like to announce Brian Berger and Jeannie Buss, Sports Business Radio. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, as Craig mentioned, uh, I went to Loyola Marymount and I started at KXLU. So for all of you students out there and you want to do great things, uh, my dream has come true and it wouldn't have happened if I didn't start here at Loyola Marymount and uh, KXLU was a great learning experience for me. So thank you for being here. Uh, a few things we are going to be posting on social media during the conversation today. We're using the hashtag SBR. LMU. So if you post something on social media, make sure to use the hashtag SBRLMU. Thank you to Boingo for powering the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Thank you to Loyola Marymount for hosting us. And without further ado, the owner of the Los Angeles Lakers, Jeannie Buss. Give her a hand. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so uh, if you don't follow us on social media at SB Radio, Jeannie is the first repeat guest for the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. We sat down in 2015 at USC, and we were on your turf, and, and now you've been nice enough to come to Loyola Marymount. Thank you. Um, it's it's. I literally, this is my turf, too, because I live in Playa Vista, so it takes me three minutes to get up here, so it's a pleasure to be here. See, I think you should have brought your dog. I thought about it, <laughs> <laughs> but she's at home. She's fine. A little little teacup Maltese. All right. Before we start, I did my, my research, which I always do for these, and uh, I read that you have a sweet tooth and that you and Linda Rambus sometimes sit... And you like, oh, what do we have here? You like Sour Patch oh, Kids and Skittles. Genius. Thank you. So during the conversation Thank today, you. if you decide you'd like to open those up, <laughs> and uh, I'll take your lead on that. But if you, you want some, we can uh, we can share. Well, that, you know, it is a it's a, a good tip for for, um, you know, as you go into the working world, you always want to have something sweet on your desk so that people stop by and that's how you get to know people you work with because especially the ones who like candy they'll stop by a lot but you know it's it's a nice thing to do in a work environment okay so there they are <laughs> um let's start off as we always do with these road shows talking about your college experience you went to usc and uh you had the amazing experience of being able to run a world tennis team while yes. you were 19 years old. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that and your college experience at USC. So um, that you guys understand my background, um, my father bought the forum 
uh, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Kings. A lot of people forget that he owned the LA Kings for about That's eight right. years. Um, and uh, I was a senior in high school at Palisades High School. And, um, you know, the started at USC that fall and studying business administration. And when you own an arena like the Forum and you have a hockey team and a basketball team, that takes up about 100 nights a year. So there's another 250 nights that need events. So my father decided that, you know, let, let's try to draw other events and see what might be successful. So he put me in charge of a team when I was 19 years old. It was called the Los Angeles Strings of World Team Tennis. And once I got the job, I said, great, I can drop out of school because who needs school if I have a job? <laughs> and he said, no, you have to stick with school and, and work as well. So if you want the job, you have to do both, but you have to stay in school. And um, that was a really important lesson to me. I, I really didn't appreciate what that meant, um, you know, to, to pursue my degree. Um, so I, uh, ran a team tennis team, um, and, you know, had some success and some failures, but it was a small enough platform that it wasn't anything that put us at any big risk. But I learned, I started learning about the, the business, uh, the sports and, and entertainment business at a young age. And I know during that process, we were talking in the green room, you met Billie Jean King, who was a big inspiration for you as well. Yes, Billie Jean King, um, it, she, um, they recently made a movie of, of her story uh, or about the, the Billie Jean King-Bobby Riggs match right. that was very influential in my life. Uh, it was held in 1972 or 73, and it was, you know, it was billed as the battle of the sexes. So you had Billie Jean King you know, playing a man who was really, you know, uh, hyped it up. Steve Carell did a, a great job uh, capturing Bobby Riggs in the movie. Emma Stone played Billie Jean King. And um, it really, I thought it was really well done. And, um, but I was an 11-year-old kid, and my dad um, turned the match on. It was held at the Houston Astrodome, sold out, Battle of the Sexes, and he said, I want you to watch this. And I didn't know anything about tennis or, you know, mm -hmm. I, I didn't watch sports on TV. And he said, I want you to watch this because this is going to change the world. And when he said that, it, it made me pay attention. And, and it was so unusual to see a woman, you know, compete on an even playing field with a man. Mm -hmm. And that was really ahead of its time and really kind of propelled Billie Jean as a, kind of an icon of the feminist movement of the, the 60s and 70s, which, you know, really, if you know Billie Jean, she she's not, she's about gender equality more than being a, a feminist, because a feminist kind of sometimes can mean like, you know, women are better than men, but that's not really her message. Her message is about equal opportunity mm -hmm. and having... Um, you know, collaboration between the sexes and, and, and people always having the ability to choose what, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't mean girls have to play with dolls and boys play with trucks. They can do whatever they want to do. And she really was a leader and, and very articulate about, um, those kind of issues when people hadn't really thought about it before. 
What do you think about all the women and girls who look up to you now as a pioneer in the same way that you look up to Billie Jean King? Um, I know what that, that, that was like a transformational moment for me, um, seeing a woman be fearless mm. and, you know, fight her own battle as opposed to, well, let me go get my husband to, you know, play this match for me. It was about, um, being empowered, um, to do things for yourself and stand up for yourself. And so if I can inspire another generation, then that's really what that's all about is passing it on. And, and I don't think of myself as a role model, but I know what that meant for me. And if I am that for other people, then I'm, I'm honored. Where did you get that from? I know you had a great relationship with your dad. And as someone who has a daughter, I know that's an important relationship mm-hmm. to empower your daughter to feel like she can dream and, and do anything. Did you get that from your dad or who were the people that gave you that courage and that confidence? Uh, you know, it, it, I, it was both my parents, mm-hmm. but, you know, in particular, my dad never, ever made me doubt myself. And, you know, in the in the times that I had those heart to heart talks with him, he would say, you know, I always I always knew that you could do it. I just need you to know that you can do it. And, you know, that 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 comes that that really means a lot to mm-hmm. to somebody who's intimidated going into a situation to know that a person that they admire and and cares about them believes in you. We'll talk about your dad in a minute, but I want to stick on the the education. We've got students here. What advice would you give to students who are sitting in the place you were at at USC and I was at here long ago who are trying to find their way in the world and they want to enter the workforce and, and make their imprint on the world? Um, I, you know, my advice to you is to take every opportunity that's presented to you, even if it doesn't match exactly what your expectations or your aspirations are. You, you'll learn about yourself and maybe you'll learn that you, you like something you didn't think you would like or that you for sure don't like something. So in my career, I, I, I basically worked in every single department that, that, you know, existed at the forum. So I learned how the box office worked. I learned how to sell tickets. I learned how to hang banners on the side of the court and, um, you know, whatever needed to be done, I, I, it was almost like I had to do it myself so Mm. that I knew how to, you know, what things were getting done and how they were getting done. And, you know, that experience helped me move up in the company because then I could manage people that were doing what I had previously done. And, um, I think also advice that I would give is that in, in, the sports business, you're always looking for revenue. You're always, you know, trying to figure out where the new revenue streams are going to come from. You try to increase the amount of revenues that you already bring in, in terms of ticket sales, broadcast, sponsorship. So if you can, can be on the side of generating revenue, then you really can write your own ticket because everybody's going to want you. That makes you golden. So I always like to say that you know, I learned on the revenue side of the business um, because when you generate revenue, then the other side gets to spend it. And that's the, that's your your team operations that are, 
you know, getting LeBron James. Right. <laughs> Let's transition into talking about your dad. I know when we talked about him a few years ago, you said one of the traits that he was best at and that you admired, he built consensus. Mm-hmm. He was able to get people on the same page. You have a lot of moving parts right now in your organization. How are you able to build consensus or is it a lot harder than he made it look? <laughs> Maybe he made it look easy. Um, you know, it, it was definitely his, you know, he, he, he got his, um, he was known as Dr. Bass and a lot of people think that was a nickname, but he actually got his PhD in physical chemistry and he really wanted to be a teacher. So that it kind of came naturally for him to, to be, you know, to want to ex- explain and connect with people, with individuals. And I think what, um, is difficult in this day and age is people are used to emailing and texting and we're losing that face to face. Couldn't agree you more. Know, um, conversation. And, and, and for me in particular in where I am in the organization, um, you know, the media has, you know, and, and you have to live with it. You can't, you know, the media is doing their job. That's what they do. And you have to, you can't change what's going on in this landscape. So you have to accept it and be able to work within it. And, you know, the media is so hyper and stories turn around so quickly that sometimes they come at you so fast that you really, you know, you you don't even know, you know, where things are coming from. And so in particular for me, there was a story that came out this season and we've had our challenges this season and um it 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 kind of um made me doubt for a second some of the people that i was working with and instead of you know calling the 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 media who were reporting it i sat down with the people that i work with and had face to face communication and and realized that that is what we're dealing with now in this day and age is that the stories come so fast and furious that they try to get you off base and they get you off from the direction that you're headed. And you've got to have faith in the people that you're working with and that trust and communication. And that comes with face to face time because texting and email can lose context and tone and you, you know, you need to, you know, look somebody in the eyes and, um, you know, really, you know, restore your faith and restore your direction. And, and that's important for leadership. I know during the season, people are running in a lot of different directions, but do you have times where you say, okay, magic and Rob or okay, Luke or okay, Tim Harris, we need that face to face regular every week or every month meeting. Yes. I mean, I think it's, it's critical, but you know, like I said, things are happening so fast and especially during the season, you know, if, if they're traveling on the road with the team and I'm back in LA or I'm in New York, you know, it's, you've really got to make that time and, and, you know, and stay in that, you know, tight circle. You had a quote, we both know Ramona Shelburne, and and I thought this was such an interesting quote. You were talking about magic, and you said, Irvin and I speak the same language because we were raised by the same man, meaning Dr. Buss. 
uh, it seems like you and Magic are in really good alignment. But like you just said, that's been tested this year because there has been a lot of outside noise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and what I, when I refer to that is that, you know, when I was 17 years old and my father bought the Lakers, he bought them in May of 1979. In June of 79, he drafted Magic Johnson with the number one pick. And Magic at that time was 19 and had to get special permission to enter the draft as a hardship case, which now obviously we draft kids at 19. So it was, he was very, a very young player, um, to be drafted. And, um, he came to LA and he and my father really developed a relationship that was so special and trusting. And Magic said, you know, I want to be a businessman. I want to learn from you. And so they spent hours upon hours, which of course tapped into my dad wanting to be the teacher. And so, so when Irvin and I sit down and discuss something, it's, it's from the same point of view. We learn from the same person. So that's what I mean when I say we speak the same language because we see things the same way. So you feel like you guys are aligned despite the outside noise. You guys are meeting and, and you're aligned on this is what our goals are and what we want to do going forward. Yes. We're, I mean, you, I mean, that's the only way really to, to, um, you know, uh, take on our business operation is to try to like split the two of us, but we're as tight as any two people, any two executives. And we've got, you know, a mission and a purpose of what we're trying to do. And we're not done yet. And, uh, we, we still have more to do, but I think we're going in the right direction. There's only two of you who breaks the tie. (laughs) Oh, I mean, in in terms of basketball decisions, I will always defer to magic. I I mean, his, his ability to, you know, he's brought a vision of, of the kind of team that, um, you know, that we're going to build and the the vision for what Lakers basketball will be. And I think you can, you can see that. Um, but we still, you know, we're still, um, building that roster that, that, um, will get us there. This is a tough business because you can lay out the blueprint and have the plan, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it doesn't develop whether a player decides they don't want to come or, a trade takes place and the player you wanted goes somewhere else. Uh, how do you feel Magic and Rob are with like, we've got plans B, C, D, and E if, if plan A doesn't oh, work? Oh yeah, no, they, they, they know how, to, they've got everything plotted out and, and, um, and the goals that they're trying to accomplish. I think people have to realize and, and, you know, basketball fans do, Laker fans do that, you know, we have to operate under the rules of the collective bargaining agreement, um, which means you can't just go and, you know, grab every player that you want. You have to, to do things, um, with a salary cap, um, and plan, uh, your contracts and the timing and the free agency and budget so that you can put the pieces together. So this will be a, a, an important off season for us, um, in regards to that plan. I know we were talking earlier, uh, again, about kind of that noise from the outside. And you have a lot of young players on your team. And mm-hmm. they're impressionable. 
There were a lot of rumors earlier in the year. Sometimes players read those and, and they go, I want to play harder and make sure I stay on this team forever. And other times, it hurts your feelings. Um, where do you see this team right now as far as their makeup? Because, look, there were a lot of injuries. There were a lot of things that prevented you guys from getting to where you probably could have gone. You were in the four spot in the West when LeBron got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of noise after that. And it goes back to what you said about everyone needing to be aligned. Because mm-hmm. if the noise outside the locker room infiltrates the locker room, then that's when things could fall apart. Exactly. And, and I think that's, you said it very well. And that's really important. And that's what every great organization can will show you that the alignment is from top to bottom and that everybody's pulling in the same direction and you know but you know when you're when you're in one of the largest media markets like Los Angeles and you have really good talent on your team they're going to be a subject of lots of rumors and you know every team wants what we have going for us so um you know, but I, I always look at the human side of things and, you know, these are individuals who, you know, yes, they, they're well aware of what happens in a league that you can be traded at any time before the trade deadline. And, um, you know, but it's, it's still, it's still hard. And, you know, when, um, the Lakers traded Shaquille O'Neal in the summer of 2004, um, that was hard on all of us because that is a friendship that had developed and, 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 um, you know, when he left, we knew that there would be, you know, comments that would be made. He went on to win a championship as we were rebuilding after he left. And, um, you know, but there was, you know, the, the day he got traded was the first day that we started to build a bridge back to that relationship. So when he did retire from the NBA, he, he asked that we retire his number while my father was still alive because he wanted to make sure that, that, you know, that was repaired. Um, and you know, of course we've not only retired his number, but we've also, uh, dedicated a Shaquille O'Neal statue at Staples center. And, um, Shaquille opened a, a restaurant across the street at LA Live that uh, I'm an investor in. So, you know, that, that friendship, you know, it, it's kind of like if somebody gets traded, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop following them on Instagram. Like I, you know, I, I want our players to do well. I care about them. And that's really important because you know, yes, the, the years that they're competing and in the NBA, it's a competitive business. But, you know, these are relationships and friendships and memories that are going to be built around people, not just a logo. And, you know, that's important to me. Well, and they last after basketball, like you just pointed out with Shaquille. I know you and Kobe are still tight. And I mean, that's one of the things about the Laker organization is you remember the greats and they're still very involved in the organization. I know that has a lot to do with you. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, we also have... You know, Devin George and Robert Ori and Derek Fisher and, you know, uh, every, every guy stops by and, and they're always welcome, you know, that, um, if they were part of, of the team at one point, 
then there's always that connection. I want to talk about LeBron because obviously that was the news of last summer when LeBron decided to sign with the Lakers. And, you know, I know that was such a, an exciting time because uh, you were trying to attract a top-tier free agent, and I don't think they come any bigger than LeBron James. Um, LeBron fills the seats. Mm-hmm. He brings sponsorships, TV ratings. Like, he is a big mega brand in and of himself. But he also brings a microscope, and he brings a lot of noise with him. Is the noise louder than you thought it might be? Um, You know, we're a a team that has gotten used to, you know, uh, big personalities. And so I think we're uniquely qualified Mm -hmm. to cope with that kind of scrutiny and that kind of microscope. Um, Really what's important to me is that, you know, he chose to come and be part of what we're building and, um, you know, I, I want him to be successful during his time as a Laker. And he's been, uh, wonderful to work with. Um, you know, it's, it, it was frustrating for him to have the injury and to miss more games than he's ever missed in his career. And, um, it's, it's hard for him to not play. He wants to play. And, you know, it's, you know, it, it, we got to look at the big picture and, uh, we want him to get to be a hundred percent and be ready for next season. And, um, you know, we expect big things next season. I think people look at the fact he's got three years left on his contract. Mm-hmm. So, and he's getting older and yeah. he had his longest injury that he's ever had this year. So you start thinking about the window for the first time and, and three years left what do you do to be able to maximize the opportunities for him and the rest of the team, but within that three-year window? Well, I, I mean, I think, you know, before he ever made his decision to join the Lakers, he met with Magic. Mm-hmm. They talked for hours about what they both, the expectations that they were both bringing um, to him joining the Lakers. And, you know, Magic has a plan, and we're going to get there. And... You know, it's just we have to have things fall into place. And, yes, it it might be the most, you know, longest time he's had missed games for injury, but I also know how hard he works and how uh, phenomenal of an athlete he is and the dedication that he has. So I'm not concerned that he's going to, you know, I know he's going to come back 100% and ready to go for next season. Yeah, and again, uh, it seems like a lot of excitement and definitely, you know, we haven't really talked about the business side yet, but you guys are one of the healthiest, if not the healthiest NBA franchises on the business side and the, the Forbes values are always very good, but, uh, that is going extremely well for you. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a team of couple hundred miles up north that are, you know, they've set like a new bar mm-hmm. for what they're doing. I um, went and uh, toured their new arena that's opening up this fall. Um, as a matter of fact, they announced that the Lakers are playing, we're playing up there in I their first that. basketball game in the new building. And that new building is, you know, they've really thought things through and they're bringing you know, setting a new bar for what uh, a venue can be um, in in terms of fan experience, and uh, you know they've they've really invested a lot, and you know, but th- that just makes me 
want to try harder and beat them. <laughs> what have they done a few things? I mean, obviously, they've drafted well and they have good players, but what have they done beyond that that has made them sustain the success? It wasn't one championship and that was it. They've been able to sustain this for several years now. Um, I think it's the leadership, you know, from the business side and Rick Welts, um, in ownership with Joe Lacob and Peter Goober, um, and the basketball side with Bob Myers and Steve Kerr. I think that they are, you know, you talk about a, a, a organization that's all on the same page, all, you know, with the same goals, the same focus. Um, and you know, they really are a model franchise. And they seem like they're in alignment. And they've yes. had some outside noise on some things, too. And they, they seem like they've stuck in, in pretty good alignment. Well, you know, they're they're the champs. So everybody's going to take their, their punch at them. So, you know, they I think Steve Kerr, with his experience as a player and as a coach, he'll keep, he'll keep things going just fine. I noticed recently uh, that you retweeted the She's Got Balls article yeah. from Sports <laughs> Illustrated. You pointed out the origin of the avatar, which was from yes. that article. Yes. Um, when people see you in a setting like this or they see you on the media, what are two or three adjectives that you want them to use to describe you if they're looking at Jeannie Buss? Um, you know, th- um, that... That things that I do are with purpose and thought and care and, um, you know, honoring the legacy of a franchise that was, you know, beloved even before my father bought the team and successful, um, you know, having moved to Los Angeles from Minneapolis and, you know, really carrying on the, um, you know, the, the, the legacy. And when I say that, it, it sounds, you know, we, we opened up a, a new practice facility two years ago. And in that process of design, it was really important that we honor the legacy, but we don't bury the future mm. with it. And so, um, you know, it, it, as you'll see that if you ever get a chance to see the facility, cause we do play our South Bay Laker G League games there. So it is open to the public. Um, you know, that everything is subtle and, you know, it is, it's there for the, the, the new players, the young players to write their, their chapter in Laker history. So I probably gave you too long of an answer for your, your question, but you know, that, that I'm, I'm respectful of the brand that is bigger than any one owner or any one player or any one coach that, um, you know, that, that it's a, it's a brand that unites a city that is very diverse and spread out. And, um, you know, you know, Everybody can come together under the purple and gold flag. But what about for you personally? When they see you, how do you want people to see you? Um, you know, um, as we were talking earlier, that that um, uh, as a woman in business, and you know, I I take my um, you know, people swipe at anybody in position of power, but that, um, that I stand up for what I, I believe in, for my own convictions, for what's important to me and what we're trying to accomplish with the Lakers. 
last time we sat down at USC, uh, we were saying it was a long time ago. A lot has happened. So uh, one of the things was Jim was still running basketball operations. Yes. Yes. Now, obviously, as we've discussed, Magic is. Your family, correct me if I'm wrong, owns 66% mm-hmm. of the Lakers. Each of the six siblings owns 11% or roughly yes. about. You You're obviously the board of governor. Yes. But you had to make some really tough decisions, Jeannie. And, and I really did think about you a lot when you were going through that. And I thought, man, that, that's got to be tough. But the she's got balls thing, like <laughs> you, you kick some ass on that. Like you, you, I'm sure it was hard. But I saw a side of you that I was like, okay, I, I've kind of been waiting for this side of Jeannie to emerge. And, and you know, it's unfortunate. And, and really for anybody who's like pre-law or law school, it's a very fascinating kind of situation. Because what happened was it was really important to my father that the team stay in the family. And usually assets of that size passing to the next generation, there's so much in inheritance taxes that usually what happens is that asset has to be sold. Mm. And my dad saw it time and time again in ownership in the different leagues, and he didn't want that to happen to our family. So he spent 10 years transferring the Laker stock into a trust, which would benefit his six children. And so, um, you know, it's complicated. So I don't want to get like too boring, but so, so it's like, we don't individually own each 10%. It's owned by a trust of which we are beneficiaries of. And my father put me in charge Mm -hmm. and gave me the authority. If anything was damaging I like to say that my dad had six kids, but the Lakers were his baby. Mm. And he put me in charge of taking care of the baby so that the baby would be healthy and survive. And so there was a situation where that wasn't happening. And it, it, it was going to tear things apart, which would have really made it impossible for us to keep the team, which is what my dad's intention was. So I had to do what he asked me to do, which he gave me the authority to make the changes that I had to. And when it came to that, to that time, I did. And unbeknownst to me, there was a campaign on the other side mm-hmm. to oust me from that, from my position. But clearly the way the documents were and as a, a judge agreed, I was, I had the authority and, and therefore, that's why I retain control of the team. Not to get too personal, but have, have fences been mended? And I know in every family, you know, especially if you have siblings, I have siblings too, there can be little spats and disagreements. But have you been able to somewhat repair or was that really a, that was a tough one? I, it, it's hard when, when people don't see things the same way. Mm. And I, you know, I, it, it, there has to be compromise, you know, to get there and, and clearly, um, we couldn't make, we couldn't see things the same way. And I, you know, I had to do what my father asked me to do. And so it was very difficult for me, but I think, you know, when you put on your business hat, everything becomes very clear. And so, um, my brothers are still, you know, beneficiaries of the trust that own the Laker stock and, 
so I, I, they, they make a nice distribution and that's my job is to, as, you know, head of the organization is to increase the shareholder value right. and, you know, increase, uh, the cash flows, which you're doing. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> a few uh, quick hitting topics, and we're going to allow the audience to ask some questions too. So get your best questions ready. Uh, Luke Walton, I know you've always been fond of Luke. My personal opinion, it's just my opinion, is that he hasn't really had a full deck to work with since he's been here. And maybe if he did, there'd be difference and, and there would be playoffs. Uh, what are your thoughts on Luke? And again, I know, you know, he played here as a Laker. So you talked about the, the connection with Shaq earlier mm-hmm. and Kobe. There's probably a different level of a connection with Luke too. It's not like you just brought someone in that you had never met before. Right. And, and he also like, there's a whole other chapter of my life, um, where, you know, I was for 15 years, um, the significant other of Phil, coach Phil Jackson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Phil used to think, uh, he used to say, you know, um, Bill Walton may be, uh, you know, Bill Walton may be Luke's dad, but Luke is my son. Like, or, you know, like something like that. It was very Star Wars-y kind of thing. But (laughs) (laughs) so it's like, you know, Luke has, has always been, um, you know, somebody that, um, you know, he came to the Lakers as a rookie the last year of, um, Shaq and Kobe. Um, so he kind of bridged two, two, uh, Lakers teams in the Shaq Kobe era and then in what you would call the Kobe Pow era. And, um, you know, he is somebody I think who doesn't even realize how, what a natural he is and what a, and, and that leadership that he has in terms of, um, you know, the, you know, getting people, connecting with people in, in all ages. And I think he's done a terrific job. I was just told yesterday that, um, the Lakers had the most, uh, games lost to injury of any team. Hmm. So yes, you're right. I think there was five games where he had the complete roster at his disposal. And that's a, that's a challenge for a coach. Um, you know, to constantly be changing, uh, lineups and, uh, you know, it's, it's hard, but, but, you know, we, we were in a position where things were all going the right way and, and we beat Golden State on Christmas day, right. which was a great present for me. <laughs> and then, but then also LeBron got hurt. And so it just, you know, it's, it, it really puts a lot of pressure on the coaching situation in terms of, you know, what he's able to do when he's, when he's shorthanded with players. If he's the coach going forward, do you I have, I'm not going to hear the No, but that I question. would imagine he's someone that you have faith in. Like of you course, just said, he's got great I've just, I've, pedigree. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, he is a hard worker and he is somebody that players gravitate towards. Right. And, um, you know, he, He's, he's, I think, done an incredible job under a lot of challenging circumstances. All right. A few other things I want to cover with you. Security at games. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw what happened in Utah with Russell Westbrook. Um, Blake Griffin had an incident with a fan in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, as an owner and someone who goes to the Board of Governors meetings, do we need to do more to protect the players or... 
were those kind of uh, outliers and, and things that don't normally happen? I think what you're seeing is uh, it's really important that we protect the integrity of the game and the, the, we protect the players and the officials, the referees, because as sports betting becomes more and mm. more mainstream and accepted, you're going to, you know, the heat is going to, you know, it's, it's already enough that when you're, you know, cheering for your hometown team, but now you add onto it, you know, wagering and, and things like that, it's going to, it's going to be that much more intense. And so we, we have to, to, protect the players, protect the officials so that the game can be played under the best of circumstances. But it, it is, it's, that's a really, you know, big challenge going forward as we see sports betting become more and more accepted. And I'm proud of the fact that the NBA, you know, in, in leadership in our commissioner, Adam Silver, um, you know, led the charge, knowing that um, wagering is a big part of the fan experience all over the world, and we're just now catching up. We'd we'd really like to see it done under federal guidelines, as because right now it's I think eight states right. that have legalized uh, sports betting, but we're going to see that happen more and more. And, um, you know, that's going to make people even more passionate if it's that, if that's even possible about the outcomes of games. Uh, I'll use that to transition into like the in-game experience, which mm-hmm. this is going to be a big part of the in-game experience. We have our friends from Boingo here, wireless at games. You can order food at games. Like there's so many things you can do right from your phone. I remember you told me, uh, when we talked last time that when you built Staples Center, you were going to put like, electronic seats and people are going to order from the seats and and now everyone does it from their phone but the in-game experience what are you focusing on to always try and use the technologies that exist today to make that a better experience for the fans um you know even before a fan leaves to go to the venue you know, um, giving them reports on traffic, mm. you know, where parking options are, you know, which way to enter. Um, you know, I, I think that, that, um, we have to deliver an experience that's seamless, easy, enjoyable, because, uh, you know, it's important to win games, but if, if the fan has a, a, a terrible experience, um, you know, in terms of waiting in long lines, you know, missing part of the game because they can't get in through the turnstile because security's slow, um, you know, really upgrading and making sure that the fan experience that it, it, it um, you know, because we're not only competing with, you know, other entertainment options, but we're competing with just staying home and watching it on a broadcast. Right. Well, and... I would say of all the teams in the NBA, you have the most number of VIPs. I mean, maybe in New York, but you're dealing with some really important people. I live in Portland and, and we don't have nearly the celebrities that come to the games as you do. So it's even more important that those fans are taken care of and feel important when they come to the games. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, if you've been to a Laker game at Staples Center, we have a unique way of lighting, you know, the court. And we make sure that that first row, that 
you know, those floor seats, the Jack Nicholson seats, um, you know, are part of that experience, part of the lighting. So everybody can see, um, who's sitting on the floor. And then the, the rest of the crowd is, is, is not lit as well. So it really, it's like a boxing match, like it, it keeps your attention right on the court. Um, so yeah, we do have VIPs, but to us, you know, every Laker fan is a VIP. And if you only come to one Laker game a year, you've got to have a great experience too, not just the people that, that are regulars. I love on your Instagram, you uh, post pictures of you with some of your friends at the game. You probably get hit up all the time for, Hey Jeannie, can I get tickets? Or how do you, at the beginning of the season, how do you decide like, I'm going to map out who's going to come to the games with me or is it spur of the moment? How does that work? Well, I, I mean, I can share a conversation I just had with you, uh, with Zachary Levi, who has a movie coming out this weekend called Shazam. Oh yeah. And I had, um, I was really hoping he was going to be able to come to a game because he, he was in LA promoting the film and I had, um, two seats on the floor for him and I sent him a text and I said, if, if you can't, if you can't make the game, then I'm going to give the tickets to Aquaman. <laughs> Jason Momoa is also a friend. <laughs> so I was going to pit the two superheroes, but, um, neither of them were able to come. So, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, I get a lot of instant friends because of, of, uh, the Lakers and the popularity, especially with having LeBron James on the team. No kidding. Uh, Staple Center. You guys have been there, what, 20 years now? Yeah, we're coming up on 20 years. So a lot of times with arenas, I'm always amazed at how quick people say, oh, the arena has outlived its, you know, it needs to be remodeled or we need a new arena. Is Staples Center, I haven't been in there a while, but is it a place where you feel like, hey, we can be here for a long time? Does it need to be remodeled? How does that work? Um, you know, we, we have a great partnership with AEG. And they are a leader in venue management and building and design. So now that, especially that LA is, has been awarded the Olympics in 2028, you know, I know that they're going to keep the building in great shape and, you know, continue, continue to evolve as new technologies come in and, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to believe that we've been there 20 years. We, when we left the forum, you know, it was, we'd been at the forum for 42 years and, you know, we really, <laughs> we really managed to, to make that building successful. And when, you know, the decision was made to move downtown, which was a lot different than being in Inglewood. And, um, you know, our fans were afraid that we were going to leave our, you know, our energy, our mojo back at the forum. And, you know, I remember having one conversation with a season C holder because that I volunteered to talk to season C holders during that move because it was difficult and we wanted to be able to explain, you know, why this was important to keep the, the team competitive. And the person said, well, I want the same seats at Staples Center that I have at the forum. And I said, Okay, well, you can have your seats at the forum, but the Lakers won't be there. <laughs> so, you know, but what was great was that first year we won a championship in the new building 
And after that, nobody ever looked back. So I recommend to every team moving into a new arena, <laughs> win a championship because it makes everything easy. Uh, resting players. I've talked to Adam about this. I've talked to David a little bit about this. But I think it's one of the biggest problems in the NBA right now. And I say this because if someone – like I'll use the March 19th game in Milwaukee as an example – the only time in Milwaukee that LeBron James is coming and that Giannis and LeBron can go against each other. And what's happening is people are either coming from far distances or they pay their hard-earned money to come to the games and there's load management or maintenance or things like that. And I know it's hard because analytics sometimes say, like, you have to rest the player or they're going to get severely injured and break down. Mm -hmm. But... You also have the fans who are saying, oh, I'm so disappointed that I don't get to see the people that I paid money to see. Is there a solution to this? Well, it, it's funny because because I grew up in tennis promotion. You know, we used to do a, a tournament at the forum and people a month before <laughs> the tournament started, they go, well, who's playing on Sunday? Well, it's a tournament. You have to, right. <laughs> you know, we never we never sold tickets to the final that you hoped, you know, the right. one, the first seed versus the second seed. So I think, you know, people who are true sports fans understand injury, you know, um, uh, you know, th those things happen and, you know, and it, it's unfortunate. I, you know, it, it, it isn't any, any place anybody wants to be, but we've learned so much about training and dynamics. And, you know, when you can, have a Kobe Bryant play for 20 years, you know, that, that's, you know, um, that's important when you, when you develop a star that you want them to play as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And so th there is a balance that you have to make, um, you know, and, and again, the, the leadership of the NBA, we are, you know, it, what's really important to us is the, the, the wellness of our players and not only um, rehabbing from injury, but preventing the injury from ever happening. And so I think it's evolving and, and figuring out. And as a matter of fact, you know, we've um, uh, made the regular season longer to avoid back-to-back -back games, um, you know, and really trying to make the scheduling uh, more equitable for all the teams that have to travel a uh, greater distance. Um, you know, so I, I think we just, you know, we have leadership that thinks out of the, the box and tries new things and tries to improve on the, the health and wellness of our players. And I think that's the most important thing. I know this could potentially cost everyone a lot of money. And I, like I said, talked to Adam and David about Don't this. Don't get me fine. No, but shorten the season. Like, there's 82 games. If you shorten the season to 60 games or 70 games, yes, there's less games, there's less revenue, but there's a little more urgency to the games, and also you don't have that wear and tear on the players, so maybe they're able to play more. And you know, I know Phil Simmons and others have suggested maybe there's a mid-season tournament or something that could generate revenue to replace those 12 games you're shaving off the schedule, but... You sit in the Board of Governors meetings. Does it ever get talked about where people go, you know, maybe we could look at shortening the schedule a little bit so that we're not playing 
as many games and don't have to worry about our assets, our star players getting hurt. I mean, I think that's what, when Adam Silver became the commissioner in 2013, um, you know, nothing was, you know, etched in stone. He, he said he would look at everything and, and, you know, I, I appreciate leadership like that. I think, you know, we discuss a lot of different ways to go about the same thing that you're saying. There is something about, you know, 82 games, the tradition that's, you know, and to, to, to go backwards from that, you know, affects revenues, which then affects the guaranteed part to the players. You know, it, it's, it's, a, that's a big thing to do. I understand where, you know, it's fun to think about and, and come up with solutions. And, and if that's what the, you know, consensus is, then I'm sure we'll continue to discuss it. Sticking on the players. This was a recent topic, uh, mental health for players. So Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan have been very outspoken this year about, I think it's super brave. Uh, It's something that needs to be talked about more by not just athletes, but everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I know that, you know, Adam Silver recently said there are a lot of players who are generally unhappy, which I was kind of surprised by. He said a lot of players, you know, expressed that to him. But I guess if you think about it, you're spending a lot of time alone on the road. Mm -hmm. You're traveling a ton. Mm -hmm. You're away from your family. You're away from your friends. If you really think about it, I can see how someone would go, okay, you know, maybe I'm not the happiest person in the world. But what can the NBA do to make sure that mental health and that players are healthy and happy? You know, the the, the NBA has started a, a mel- mental health and wellness initiative. Um, that's, for us, um, partnering with UCLA Health has been um, such a wonderful resource for us. Um, that we have partnered with them in terms of what we can offer. And, and you have to think about, and this I learned from Phil Jackson, you, you, you can't think about just the player. You have to think about all the people that surround them, their, their, their parents, their spouse, their children, and how the season affects them as well. For example, um, in September, just before the, we start training camp, the Sunday before, we have a family picnic with just the players and their families, and we bring in, you know, games and, and you know, just make it so kid-friendly because we know that, you know, the disconnect is going to happen because now their, their father is going to go to work and be traveling a lot, and we want them to have some family time where they can not be worried about media or are doing anything other than enjoying their family and getting to know each other as we go into training camp. And those kind of things are really important to realize that we're a family and, you know, um, people have pressures and challenges, not only from playing the game, but just what the game you know, the sacrifices they have to make because of the game. So that's a transition into my last question for you before we open it up to the audience. You're very busy. Uh, a lot of people wanting a lot of different things from you. Mm-hmm. How do you balance life and what do you enjoy doing in order to kind of keep everything, 
prioritized and, and happy in your life? Um, you know, I, I have, you know, a dog, a, a pet <laughs> that, that, um, you know, I connect with and is a, a great stress reliever, just going for a walk with the dog. Um, I also, I talk a lot about, um, you know, I, I, you know, challenged myself and took a stand-up comedy class this past summer. I saw that. And I, I, you know, I started to write my own jokes and material. So I, I challenged myself doing new things, I think is really important, um, to, you know, just kind of, um, reset your mind and, and do something that really takes you away from what you do every day. And I always, um, you know, I try to go to the movies every weekend like to a movie theater because that's the industry in LA, Mm -hmm. you know, like every, every city has, you know, kind of the, you know, what, um, grows their economy and, and what gives people jobs and we're in the entertainment business. And so, you know, just as so many of the entertainment industry own Laker season seats, I feel I have to do the same and, and go to the movies every weekend. Is there a movie that you've seen recently that you were like, Oh, I just love that. Um, I, you know, I usually like every movie I see. But, <laughs> wow, um, you're an easy audience. Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, I, you know, I like horror films. I haven't seen Us yet, so I'm planning to see that. And I want to see Shazam. Of course, I love superhero movies. And, um, you know, that's, that's about it. And at USC, I asked you about, uh, hoverboards. No hoverboards. No, <laughs> no not You're me. avoiding not me. <laughs> me too. All right, okay, let's smart. open it up for questions. Where's we've got the crowd mic right here. Raise your hand if you uh, have a question for Jeannie. Maybe state your name as well. Uh, hi, my name is Max. Is that good? Okay. Uh, obviously, a big Laker fan. Um, I'm from Portland, Oregon, actually, though. But um, we still have some big pockets of support out there. So. Just to let you know that. Uh, my question today uh, is, do you have any advice for people like me that are entering the sports business world or sports law um, and the complex and competitive field that it is? And also, secondly, uh, what has been the guiding principle for uh, your journey towards success throughout your life? Um, well, I, I would, you know, I would recommend that you really, if you're going to go into law, I think that's a great idea. Um, you know, so many, for example, our general manager, Rob Palenka, who was an agent for players like Kobe Bryant before he came on this side as a general manager, he, he has a law degree. And that really, you know, makes him how he approaches things and, and solves problems. I think that's a, a really good background to have. Um, in terms of success, I think, you know, um, you know, always showing up, you know, um, doing what is expected of you and, and living up to your word, you know, and that, that's something that my father always taught me is that, um, if you're, if you say you're going to do something, do it because your reputation is so valuable. Great answer. Other questions? Raise your hand. Thank you for wearing the Laker shirt. (laughs) (laughs) It's the old school Lakers shirt too, it looks like. Come on, other questions. There's one in the back. 
Hi, I'm Catherine, and I kind of wanted to go back to what you were speaking about before when you were talking about the women empowerment and um, being a woman in this industry. So I kind of, especially in the light of Nike's Dream Crazy or commercial and how that really resonated with and the impact they were able to make with that, I just wanted to see where you see that message resonating within the sports industry now, if that's making any sort of waves. And in other words, kind of how much crazier do women need to dream before those dreams aren't just crazy and they're just dreams? Um, you know, it's like you never you never want to stop dreaming. But, you know, when I was your age, there weren't the kind of opportunities that there are now. And, you know, I thought that Nike really, you know, hit a home run with that message um, because, you know, I, I don't I don't think that anything isn't possible. You just have to visualize it. And, um, you know, for me, um, I was a product of Title IX, meaning when I was in high school, they told me I was on the girls golf team. And I said, but I don't even play golf. And they said, well, we'll teach you because if we don't have a girls team, we can't have a boys team. And, um, that was a great opportunity that I didn't even realize was put right into my lap because of people like Billie Jean King and, um, the dream of, uh, of having every opportunity. And, and it's important to me that it isn't like separate, but equal that it's about being at the same table that, that, um, you know, um, so all these, um, women athletes and, um, you know, who now compete in college, who, who dedicate themselves to being athletes and, you know, um, get scholarships and compete in college. Well, unless you're in the WNBA or an ice skater or a tennis player, there's, there's no place to earn money as a professional athlete, as a female. So because of that, a few years ago, I partnered with, uh, the guy that started the gorgeous ladies of wrestling back in the eighties. And it's, it's, it's an inspiration for a TV show that's on uh, Netflix now called glow and we've reimagined it and it's now called wow women of wrestling and the reason that i i invested in that product is because there's not a lot of opportunities for women to compete that they can you know be showcased that they get the center ring and um you know what's you know, what WOW stands for is that women fight their own battles. I mean, it's still good versus evil. It's wrestling. But the the women fight for what they believe in, whether it's right or wrong. And they don't have to run to a man to save them. So, um, you know, I, I want to see more opportunities for women. But I also want to see women supporting other women in sports. And, you know... And the, and those opportunities will grow and grow when revenue can be generated from a sport, any event, then it's, it's going to make it. I've been involved in a lot of leagues that don't make it, but the, you know, you gotta, you gotta carry your weight and, you know, sell tickets mm -hmm. and be a business, a viable business. A couple Thank of you. other questions. Raise your hand. We've got one right here. So I want to start by saying I'm from New York. So 
even though I love watching Lakers play, I'm a, a Knicks fan at heart. What's your name? Kendall Cooper. Okay. And uh, there's like complications that I would say my Knicks organization is having at the top. Um, so as an owner, you talked about like the, the communication that's needed between the GM, the president, and yourself, the owner. So how do you balance creating revenue with trying to win and like bring in good players? Um, you know, it's, um, you know, you, you have to be on the same page. You have to be pulling in the same direction. And, and what happens is that, um, it's hard to be patient in this business. And, uh, the media in New York is, I would say the toughest of any market, (laughs) but, um, if you, if you, you know, keep your circle tight and, and you, um, stick to a plan, then I think you'll see, um, the, the success. And, you know, I, 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 um, admire that, um, the Knicks, are, you know, one of the premier franchises. They, you know, people, you know, those games sell out every game and the fans are real and they love their team. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult when your team's not successful. And I, I get, you know, it's been six years that we haven't been in the playoffs. So it's hard for me to say, um, you know, what they need to do because we need to focus on what we need to do. And, um, you know, but this is it's a competitive sports world, and there are teams that have really managed to be successful um, throughout all the challenges. So there really is no excuses. It's just really sticking to your plan, which I think is important. I know we had a question back there. Hi, my name's Maddie. Um, going off of Kat's question, I know you said when you were 19, you managed the... LA Strings, yes. LA Strings. Um, do you feel like that really helped you in the industry of being a female owner of the Lakers, like um, earning respect, or do you feel like you have to prove yourself even more now? Um, I, I started as... Um, a, assistant or a alternate governor is what they call it in the NBA in, um, 1995 or 96. And so I attended the board of governors meetings with my father and, um, it was very intimidating because there was, I think one other woman and she worked for the NBA in this room, of very successful, highly competitive men. And, I thought there's no way I'm ever going to, you know, um, be a peer of, of these guys sitting in this room. So what I decided to do is that as each new owner came in, that, that I would be the seasoned veteran Smart. and I would reach out my hand to them to kind of show them the ropes and so the first new owner after I came in was Mark Cuban. And so he was somebody that um, kind of threatened the old guard because he was a billionaire. Yeah. He's very young and very outspoken. 
And he almost didn't get approved by the board because, you know, they didn't really know where he was coming from and what he was going to bring to the league. And now when you look at, at, at um, you know, his success as an owner and, and as a, a media personality on Shark Tank, um, you know, you know, I just, I built my own circle of, of owners and friends. And, and since that time, we've, we've turned over probably two thirds of the, the ownership. And so, you know, I count among my great friends, people like Wick Grossbeck, who's the governor of the Boston Celtics and Wes Edens and Mark Lazary, who are the Milwaukee Bucks ownership. And, um, you know, that's how I went about the, the, the intimidating room that, that was the Board of Governors. Now there's a, a lot more women. Uh, Lorene Jobs came in as a part owner of the Washington team. Um, the um, wife of Tom Benson uh, is Gail. now, Gail Benson is now, uh, the governor for the New Orleans team. And so there are women in top positions, uh, in marketing, legal, um, you know, across teams, across the league, across our broadcast partners and other entities that we deal with. So, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, a lot of it's a lot of change has taken place in the last 20 25 years it's funny i was listening to uh mark cuban on dan gilbert's new podcast he has a new podcast and he was saying that when he first came into the league mark cuban he said after the meeting he asked david stern like are we allowed to talk in here because no one said anything and he said now i feel like we need a 24 second shot clock because people talk so much that we need to like move on to the next person do you is that kind of how it is in there yeah i mean it's it's a very interesting group of people because all very highly successful in their own right right in their own respective businesses and now they have to collaborate and get along with 29 other people and so it's 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 interesting and you know i've had my share of clashes with um, different ownership groups, but that's, you know, at the end of the day, what's the most important thing? And, and my father, Dr. Buss was a leader in this that he, you know, sometimes if there, there was something that maybe wasn't the best thing for the Lakers individually, he would always put the league hmm. and the needs of the league before his own team. And that selfish, selflessness was really important in the growth of the NBA. And, um, you know, he should re- be remembered for that because it was remarkable. The last question I'll ask you is, uh, I know when we talked last time, you said that you, you kept his glasses, his seeing yes, glasses. Yes. Do you still look through them sometimes mm-hmm. to see the world as he did? Yeah. I mean, you know, um, he, what I do a lot of times is I, um, watch, his speech from the basketball hall of fame and and you know he it was really an emotional speech for him to make but it really talks about what the team and the league and you know um the opportunity that owning the lakers gave him and that inspires me 
Well, Judy, thank you so much for making the time to join us today. I know you have an incredibly busy schedule. I wish you nothing but success thank in the you. future. I think you do a great job. You are a uh, great example for, for many, many people. Let's give Jeannie Buss a big hand. <laughs> I also quickly just want to say thank you to Loyola Marymount for hosting us. Let's give LMU a big hand. Thank you to our friends from Boingo for powering Sports Business Radio and our roadshow. Thank you so much. This will be uh, available on our podcast on iTunes and Spotify. So if you don't already subscribe to the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, download it and you'll be able to hear this conversation. Thank you so much. And Jeannie, thank you again. When it comes to stadiums and arenas, every sports pro knows wireless wins. And when it comes to the best wireless technology for your venue, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., providing state-of-the-art Wi-Fi and cellular services that power amazing fan experiences. And Boingo makes keeping your stadium connected easy today and in the future. Thinking about 5G? Boingo's expert team helps you carry the ball through a complex technology landscape to deliver wireless solutions that will delight fans and deepen loyalty season after season. Here's another kicker. Boingo is simply the best connected experience for your business. With Boingo, stadiums and arenas enjoy unique operating efficiencies, revenue opportunities, and digital insights into their fan base. That's a win-win. Boingo works with major league sports venues like Soldier Field, Vivint Smart Home Arena, State Farm Arena, and University Stadiums like University of Louisville and K-State. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports. If you would like more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com.